Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is Dung. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. They're long and prosperous. Welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. Ladies and gentlemen, he is one-third of the Red Shirts Podcast, writer, comedian, painter, and in desperate need of a cup of coffee. It's Jake Donaldson! Yeah! Hey, hello. (laughs) How you doing, man? Good, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, I, I am in need of a coffee because I'm all the way over here in the United Kingdom, and it is currently, as we record, ten past ten in the evening. So uh, I, I should be in bed, really. But this is uh, I, that is how much respect I have for you, Todd, and the podcast. Oh, that's will, very sweet of you to say. I thank will you. forego rest and do this <laughs> instead. Yeah, uh, to, you know. So everybody, he's ready for bed. I took off work early, so to give you an idea of the time gap here. (laughs) But thank you so much for doing this. I have listened to a number of episodes of the Red Shirts, and it's it's fantastic. You guys, uh, the chemistry between the three of you, you, Maddie, and uh, and Nate are just—it's really great. It's a lot of fun. Thanks. We were just talking. uh, We were just talking before we uh, rolled that. It's kind of a, this is kind of our substitute for, you know, this is the substitute for not being able to do stand-up comedy as much as we would like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I, over here in the UK, we went into lockdown uh, around about end of March, uh, 2020. Mm -hmm. And suddenly all gigs were canceled, which is really annoying because I was about to go on a tour, but, and I was about to record a stand-up DVD, like a special, and that was going to release and everything. Um, I was supposed to record that the day after they announced the lockdown. So I put all of this effort into doing it and rehearsing it and doing previews and everything. And then that all got sacked off immediately. So, and then we, then I couldn't do gigs for like 18 months until sort of last month I wasn't able to gig. So me and Maddie and Nathan started doing Red Shirts cast, a sort of way of getting over the the hump of not having stand up anymore. (laughs) And uh, yeah, and it, but I think it's great. Like, you know, there's no other way that I would have been able to meet you and guest on a podcast in America, which is Likewise. like, that's really cool. I told my mum this morning that I was going to be a guest on an American podcast. Uh, and she said, oh, how are you going to get there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, every now and then, like I tried to explain to my father who who served in Vietnam, if that's an indicator of his age, he he, sure. he just, he just turned 77, but I tried to explain to him. So I'm on this internet radio. I'm on a podcast. Well, what that, what is that? It's an internet radio show. So do you go? So no, I do it from the house. So the studio's in your house. Kind of really. <laughs> just It was this Laurel and Hardy skit back and forth of what is a <laughs> podcast. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun, but yeah. I, let me ask you about the scene over there is yep. Because I find there's a lot of nerd comedian crossover. That Venn diagram 
that yeah. crossover section's pretty thick of nerds. Uh, a lot of sci-fi nerds, a lot of comic book nerds. Uh, are yeah. I think I've seen some comic book postings on the Red Shirts uh, Instagram. Do you guys? Do you guys all fall into the comic book category as well? We're all nerds in the podcast, but maybe I would say different types of nerd. So, Ooh. like, like Nathan is very much a sci-fi nerd and a and and he's into like larping and and all that kind of stuff as well nice. whereas i'm i'm i don't do that kind of thing but i'm sort of very much a comic books like marvel dc sort of guy and actually came to star trek pretty late uh, and that was the reason we did the podcast was because i at the start of lockdown started watching star trek again for the first time since i was like a kid and i was like oh this is really good and then i, I was chatting to maddie and nathan about it knowing that they were fans already and then that turned into a podcast so oh, wow. but, yeah That's and then great. maddie is sort of like a, a science nerd like she's really into all sorts of like real life science and like space travel and stuff like that and yeah and she sort of crosses over with me in the me and maddie are both massive fans of x-men so we keep joking about how we're gonna do a spin-off podcast that's all about x-men but we, we have low enough numbers for the podcast about star trek so i don't know <laughs> what we're thinking about in terms of the x-men one it's just gonna be one person listening every oh sure oh, that person I'm, will be me <laughs> yeah i'm i'm the same way i'm like oh hey 14 downloads well what who's moving up in the world like (laughs) looking at my own stuff but you know what now's the time to do all that stuff i've toyed with the idea of taking some star trek fan fiction written by uh some of my friends and you know frequent guests on the show and doing sort of an audio play and you know inserting a great idea and things like that yeah so uh you know especially because a lot of them are either podcasters or comedians or actors or whoever. I think that would be a lot of fun, especially in this format where anything goes and you can kind of spin it however you want. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to listen to that. We often talk about fan fiction in our podcast because Maddie's really into that. And she recommends fanfic to us all the time. And she keeps trying to get us to, because we do like an episode of the podcast on an individual episode of Star Trek every week. But she keeps trying to get us to do an episode on a fan fiction that she's found instead of doing an episode of the show, which we're reticent to do because Nathan's a bit of a purist and doesn't want to do anything that isn't properly Star Trek. Uh, oh, and sure. then, yeah. And then I'm just too shy and I don't want to, cause all of the, all the fanfic that Maddie picks is like sexual fanfic. So oh, that's slash, <laughs> that's be... slash Trek fiction. Okay. Yeah. I, gotcha. yeah. <laughs> I, I always remember slash fiction being a thing that all the girls were into when I was at secondary school. Um, high school um and i'm going by the way that'll happen sometimes i'll say something then remember that americans call it something different and then i'll have to try and like no that's fine <laughs> i feel my audience all three of them are very uh very intelligent and i'm sure they'll pick up on it <laughs> there might be occasionally i'll be like oh yeah and then he puts something in the boot of his car i mean trunk of his car see i'm one of you <laughs> <laughs> I just put on an accent halfway through, except my accent, my American accent is like the equivalent of when Dick Van Dyke was in Mary Poppins doing a British accent, but it's like swapped over. (laughs) He was all like, all right, Mary Poppins. Whereas whereas my American accent is going to be like, I don't know what I imagine Colonel Sanders sounds like. Listen, this is a safe place. I've had that discussion with a couple of guests. I'll be on since you, you know, offered that up. I will be perfectly honest. I have, you know, I sort of got ahead of myself with, hey, let's do this big cross promo. And then like, as soon as it was confirmed, 
I was racked with the, the fear and the idea of like, all right, they're all British. Don't sound like an idiot. Don't sound like an idiot. Don't sound like an idiot. <laughs> like, all right. We're going to work on some vocabulary this week. And then we're going to, we're going to try not to stumble over our words at all. And we're definitely not going to do a Dick Van Dyke impression. Great. <laughs> don't be, don't, don't be daft, Todd. You, you, you can be your normal, lovely American self. Thank you. That's so sweet of you to say. And you obviously feel free to kick your shoes off and just relax. This is a, um, uh, me podcast as Sue podcast. <laughs> Let's get into a little bit of the nitty gritty here about uh, this particular episode. So I know you guys have covered some episodes of Enterprise, the Scott Bakula series with mixed reviews. It feels like, like there's some, there's some kind of like, okay, this part's cool. This part's definitely not cool. Like, well, from my point of view, excluding the points of view of Maddie and Nathan, right. The mixed reviews of, uh, enterprise are mixed in as much as they go from this is pretty bad to this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, so <laughs> right. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of enterprise. There are a bit. Don't get me wrong. There are bits of it I like, but there's also large swathes of it that I can't really get on board with, and I don't know what it is. If and I mean this sort of links into what we were just saying. It sort of feels too American for me, oh, which. Yeah. It, like, and I know that seems weird to say about any Star Trek because it, it's one of the most American things that exists, but there's something about the way that it's made and the way it's written and the characters in it that are somehow annoyingly American for me. And like, yeah. and that's not to say, you know, I love America and I love most Americans. Do you know what it is? I think it's just faith of the heart. It's yes! just There it is. <laughs> <laughs> We are 28 for 28, folks. Everyone who comes on this show hates that song. <laughs> it's awful. I hate it so much. And I feel bad because the guy who sings it is British. So I feel like I'm supposed to like it. It's a, He's an, a, a Welsh opera singer called Russell Watson. Yeah. And he's inflicted the most Americans. I think what's happened is because he's British, he's someone said to him, look, you're going to be recording the soundtrack, the, the new theme tune for for Star Trek, it's going to be big. It, you know, it's it's this American series. It's all American heroes played by Scott Bakula from Quantum Leap and all this. And then he's gone, okay, right, we need to make it as American as possible. So I'm just going to make it sound like the parody of Southern Song that, like, yeah. it's it's like a parody Western song. Yeah, it's, we've... You'd we've think, had... like, Bo Burnham would do or something. Yes, oh my gosh. A dirt road, a cold beer, a blue jean, a red pickup, a rural noun, a simple adjective, but no shoes, no shirt, no shoes, you didn't hear that, sort of a mental typo. Great pull, by the way, Bo is so good. Uh, anyways, Bo is great. But yeah, I've gotten that feedback more than once of like, it's not really rock, but it's not really country. Yes, exactly. I and don't know what it is. The lyrics. I, well, I do in, know what it is. It's terrible. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> in looking at the lyrics with the imagery that is presented, especially in the first few seasons, it's kind of like, yes, okay, I get where you're going with this. But I think because, and again, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, but this show premiering less than two weeks after 9-11 which yes. was you know for I mean that happened when I, I how old are you I'm uh, I'm, tw I'm 28 okay so I'm a little bit older I'm a, oh, geez. <laughs> Christ, I'm about 10 years older than you anyway 
It's all right. I've got the mind and body of a 52-year-old. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, all the physical things I put my body through between football <laughs> and uh, martial arts and law enforcement, I've destroyed my body. <laughs> and then the cartoons have taken over the rest of my brain. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm basically a pile of mashed potatoes. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, with this show starting just after 9-11 yeah. and at the time... TV seemed to be going through this transition of phasing out of the episodic yes. type shows and more into uh, serialized storytelling. But yeah. because it fell right in that gap, right in the middle, it really wasn't one or the other. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And because of that, we get these freak of the week type episodes uh, that kind yes. of stand alone on the, on themselves. But then we also get like little short bursts of like two or three episodes that linked together that'll reference something from last season or that something will happen that'll get referenced again in the next season yes and so by the end of season four (laughs) by the time the show ended it seemed like they knew what they were doing uh Uh, yeah it did feel like it was starting to get its own kind of sort of a feeling about it that made it its own thing but until but that i only really get that about halfway through season four and then all the rest of it the odd good episode like marauders the one we're looking at today is i quite like it's a good episode but um, then there are lots of others that aren't that great and then the good ones sort of stand alone and aren't part of a wider thing that is sort of that you're able to go uh, like latch onto and and be like oh yeah i really like this series because of xyz you can only really go oh i like that one episode in that series because of xyz but those xyz things don't appear in any of the other episodes either side of it or what have you Um, right and it is that thing you said about the freak of the week monster of the week type episodic nature of things and then tying that into a a sort of wider uh, serial is something that they were doing on deep space nine 10 years earlier but deep space nine did it quite well and like and I, I by no means am I the hugest fan of Deep Space Nine ever either. But you know I like Deep Space Nine more than this. Uh, right. So <laughs> there might be. I mean, there's probably your listeners have probably be sat here being like, Todd, why have you got this limey prick on to talk about a thing he doesn't even like? <laughs> My wife is almost certain that's what people are saying about her. I'm just like, you know, she's not that into Star Trek. <laughs> She watches it clearly just for you, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's nice. My girlfriend refuses to watch any Star Trek whenever I ask her. So oh, there you I, go. I got I, her to I, watch I, one film. It was I got her to watch the film that's got, uh, oh, which one is it? Generations I got her to watch. Um, okay. Because her favorite actor in the world is Malcolm McDowell, and he's in that. So like, I managed to convince her to watch it because of that. Right. Um, but that's the only reason that she watched it. And I'm pretty sure she just phased out of all of the bits where Malcolm McDowell's not in it, which is quite a large portion of the film. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just finished watching a couple of episodes of the show Community. I where love he, Community. So well, good. Okay, great. I was That was going to be my next question. It was like, have you guys heard of Community? <laughs> I, it's, community is probably my favorite. Uh, well, no, The Office is my favorite sitcom ever, but Community is sec- second favorite. And obviously, we've got a link to Community in Marauders as well. Because we do. We, we do. I don't know if you want to, if we bring this up later, I'll, I'll say I'll we'll, be done for now. We'll we'll get to that all in good time. All in good time. But yeah, uh, yeah. This is this is one of those this is one of those episodes that at the risk of jumping ahead of myself here, it was cited by a lot of different people as like, this is actually kind of one of those 
classic Star Trek structures where they show up. There's a, you know, there's something happening. People need help. The crew cleverly help them out of this situation. And we shake hands and we fly off and live to fight another day type of thing. Yeah. And that's great. That's a lot of fun. That definitely could not sustain a bunch of episodes. So it is good that they pepper in some of these because I do feel like we get a little bit of character development, but it is also in the midst of seeing Archer trip read occasionally making some pretty bad calls of either either diplomatically, (laughs) tactily or otherwise, or personally, (laughs) they're making bad decisions left and right. So it's good to see them like show up. Hey, you need help. We got you, you know, (laughs) but yeah, it's, it's very much uh, one of those classic structure that just, you could drop it in anywhere and it works. Now uh, let me backtrack for just a second. I've had this idea and I've made this sort of comparison to some friends and uh, nerdy friends, anyone that will listen, which is very few people anyway, but I've compared Star Trek. I've I've said it's it's the American Doctor Who. Is right, that, yes. Is that close? <laughs> um, I've thought about this as well because I, I'm a big Doctor Who fan as well um, because I'm British and it's the law over here. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, but obviously I'm a big fan of Doctor Who, and there are definitely there are definitely similarities. I think, and part of that is that this freak of the week episodic nature of it actually thinking about it doctor who does that in a really good way as well where they have like long arcs you know there are arcs that have lasted for 40 years on doctor who you know oh, yeah. um which which aren't resolved yet and you know could lead to anything and yeah and star trek sort of does that in in some ways as well but obviously not quite the same way because it's set in various different times and locations and things depending on the series but right. yeah it def- there definitely is a a similar cat. I'm not sure if I would call it the American Doctor Who, but I would definitely say that it is sort of like a. It's like an American. It's like if it's to talk about Community again. It's like when in Community they make like a fake American version of a fake version of Doctor Who, right? It's <laughs> called Inspector Space Time, and then yes. they try. There's an episode where they try and create a, an American version of it, and it doesn't really work, and it gets turned into something else. And I think yeah, th- that would be what an American Doctor Who would be. It would they wouldn't quite get it right because so much of Doctor Who is about the Britishness of it all. Whereas oh yeah, Star Trek Star Trek, as much as I said earlier, it's an American thing. It's not you you can watch that in any language and not know where it was made. Like you wouldn't necessarily it's not about America in the same way that Doctor right. Who is a, ostensibly about Britain and is always set in Britain if they're in, if they're on Earth or what have you. Um, yeah. but it's there's definitely similarities, yeah, sure. Because I came to Doctor Who not long after uh, Chris Eccleston, and yeah. uh, I, which I, I assume many Americans probably jumped on at that point. But that's I'm, that's when I started watching it because that was 2005. He he yeah. when the reboot started, and I was what like 10 then, so like 12 something like that. So yeah. like most of my fandom is of the newer stuff, but I've obviously gone back and watched the older things from the sixties and seventies and eighties and all that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I definitely, um, yeah. Cause I recall watching that first series with Chris Eccleston and Billy Piper and, yeah. and then, you know, of course being aware of Dr. Who before I watched it, it was kind of like, okay, this has been going on for a long, long time. Sure. And as soon as I finished that first series went back to, I think at the time Netflix actually, uh, and again, I, I think Netflix is a little bit different over there than it is here, 
But I yeah. know at the, at the time, Netflix over here had, I think, 18 of what I'll call the original series. Sure, yeah. And I went and made an effort to, and I watched everything up, everything that Netflix had. Yeah. I went through all of it. And then the wife picked up at 2005 and mm-hmm. watched with me onward. And uh, she reluctantly but then not long not long into that first season i caught a tear running down her face (laughs) and i said and i I, all i did was lean over and go so what do you think she goes stupid show (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah so that's the we've had some good fun about that but yeah she's She'll watch Star Trek with me, but I think probably one of the best things to introduce someone new, and I promise listeners, we will get back to Marauders. (laughs) We will finish talking about that episode. But I think for newer viewers of Star Trek, I think probably one of the best things to start with ends up being, I think one of y'all's earlier earlier episodes, the Mm. J.J. Abrams 2009, that first movie. And I think listen to that commentary um, you know, I bought it back when DVDs were still a thing. And <laughs> yeah. I listened to that commentary and they said, you know, how can we get our wives, how can we yeah. get our the ladies in our life into this nerdy thing that we've loved since we were children? Yeah. And, and the I answer think- to that is employ sexy actors. Well, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> but I think, you know, in terms of storytelling, they really sell it with absolutely with yeah. kirk's with kirk's mom giving birth amidst this big huge battle and it's like yeah yeah the battle's kind of in the background and i think that kind yeah. of really nails what star trek is really all about in that yeah there's aliens and wars and really yeah. cool awesome technology but it's the crew it's these people interacting with each other and learning about each other but then making those steps to learn about other cultures and yeah interaction diplomacy i mean diplomacy you know star wars the prequels got some flack for being too focused on diplomacy and i <laughs> can't say i disagree but no, at the but... same time you know exploring what it means you know at the risk of sounding you know cheesy or overly uh poetic or whatever uh you know as we explore outwards we also have to explore inwards and yeah, you know, no, absolutely. And being I on think a that's... crew of mixed crew of any type. I mean, especially Star Trek from the 60s, it was a big deal to not only everybody focuses on Michelle yeah. Nichols and how they had an African American woman on the bridge. People also forget they had an Asian at the helm. This was not long after World War II. And they had a yeah, Russian amidst the Cold War. <laughs> like they had a <laughs> yeah, Russian yeah, yeah, yeah. there too. Like it was yeah. kind of a big deal. All of these people <clears throat> working together and not getting paid. They were there for exploration. And I think that's the inspiring yeah. part of Star Trek. Like from the beginning yeah. until now. Absolutely. And I, I always say that if Star Wars is a, a space opera, yeah. then Star Trek is like a space Western. It's also a space soap opera. It's about these characters, these people, and their interactions as much as it is about having a shootout with the bad guys or whatever. And, and you know, it's about their relationships, not just, you know, it's, it's Star Wars is great. I'm a massive Star Wars fan, but, like, it's, you watch it mainly for the cool action scenes and the, you know, the fun dialogue and all that kind of thing. And, right. yeah, okay, maybe there's that storyline about Luke and his dad and everything that's maybe a bit more like soap opera but that's about it whereas Star Trek has all of this emotional 
stuff going on between this character and this character. And then there's like, you know, there's a love triangle maybe, or there's some kind of deceit going on. And it's like watching, like, I don't know how familiar Americans are with the soap operas that we have in the UK, but they're the only ones I know about. So I'll have to reference them. <laughs> but there's a, there's a show called Coronation Street in the UK, which is uh, a really famous uh, soap opera that's on every night um, set in Manchester. And I always think that Star Trek is sort of like, space coronation street and like ah, which okay. and it, it does really feel like that and and there's a sort there's something shakespearean about it as well in that sort of the way that the characters behave is close enough to reality that you can understand their motivation but it's far enough removed that it's sort of interesting and like it's not just them doing boring stuff like the washing up or whatever like they right. but they're getting into day-to-day situations that you can believe but that are dramatic enough that are interesting and, and I, that's why i really cling to star trek over other uh shows and other sci-fi and stuff because you know there are other great sci-fi shows like battlestar galactica or stargate sg1 or, or whatever sure. which, which are great but they just don't do the same thing that star trek does which is that sort of element of mixing both personal stories and drama on a personal level with grandiose space sci-fi big yeah. idea galaxy brain stuff yeah well you mentioned it uh you know there is quite a uh, there's quite a deep shakespearean aspect to it a lot especially for old fogies like me who are <laughs> next gen kids who yeah. followed captain picard you know yeah. and the whole i grew thing. up watching next gen so did you okay great yeah. great you know him staring out the window and trying to mull over the situation that's at his door absolutely yeah and him being able to quote a line of Shakespeare or yeah. some Greek philosopher or, you know, some story of some poet or author or musician, you know, that their work ended up shaping or their life ended up sort of shaping a part of yeah. our shared history and culture and realizing how much that that still applies today. People forget Picard was an archaeologist. He studied. Yeah. That was his thing. Like, and then he became a Starfleet captain. Like, he yeah, was exactly. an archaeologist. So he's kind of Indiana Jones, but like the cool, older, like I'm done punching people in the face. Indiana yes. Jones. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. gonna quote Shakespeare to you, and it's been it's gonna be cool as fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> here it comes, people. You know, he would do all that stuff, and then the Shakespearean aspect is when you think of Picard, Riker, and Will Crusher being three stages of the same person. And yeah, of course. When you yeah. think about Riker is kind of the son, you know, that Picard kind of wishes he had, but, you know, he sees, Picard also sees the flaws within himself when he looks at Wesley. Yes, and, yeah. And, you know, Wesley imagining being Riker, and the, yeah. but, also, but also having this sort of standoffish respect for Picard as well. And yeah, that, it's very Shakespearean when you think about it like that. And yeah, like, yeah. But by, by the way, I swore before I came on this that I wasn't just going to come on and play the British card. And then I've immediately just talked about Shakespeare. So, you know, <laughs> at, le- at least you're not sitting over there with a bunch of chips. of just like, oh, and here's my fish and chips while I'm at it. Let me have a sip of my tea. Yeah, no. <laughs> so you're, go- you're good, man. <laughs> no, it's, and, to- I was, and I was like am I going to talk about a, like a lot of British stuff? Like, okay, don't talk about Dr. Who that much. Just, I mean, know, it's fine. <laughs> I, I'm surprised I've not gone all mental about talking about American things that have got nothing to do with Star Trek. Cause I'm obsessed with, I've never been to America and I really want to go. And I've, uh, I'm obsessed with going to America and seeing American things that are really 
stuff that is really dull and boring if you live there but that is exciting to me like just walking past a 7-Eleven like because we don't have 7-Eleven in, in here but I've heard oh, Americans okay. talk about it so I'm just like oh wow that's a 7-Eleven I'll probably that's be like it. you know I'll be in New York I'll be stood next to some really famous building that everyone wants to go and see, like, you know, like the Rockefeller center or something like that. And I'm looking the other way because there's a Sears around the corner or something. (laughs) (laughs) The wife and I were dangerously close to coming to England. Uh, This was 2013. What we were looking at doing, I believe it was around the time of our fifth wedding anniversary. And Mm. I think it also coincided with the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. Uh, yeah, so, we'll have done that. Was 2013? Yeah, was it? Okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. we we were looking at it like, oh, do we do we just get up and go? But we had actually just moved from South Carolina to Florida, and uh, money was tight, and we were just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, oh, sure. We just we just moved to Disney World. <laughs> like we we can't we can't go to England also. Yeah, <laughs> also just. Speaking from the point of view of someone who's spent 28 years in this country, like it's not that good. Stay where you are. You've got better stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Oh, but yeah. So, you know, in talking about the very nature of Star Trek and these, uh, the idea of putting yourself out there to help these people and, you know, in helping someone, you're also learning a little bit about yourself and you're also, as you give help you kind of get help you know i mean there's the idea of like uh there's no such thing as a unselfish deed but like they didn't have to stick around and help them with the klingons they could have took their you know taken their 20 200 liters and bounced but they stuck around they saw these people were suffering and it is really good to kind of see like hey there's this diverse group of characters although very american in their presentation but it's good to see them just kind of help people that need it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's why I like this episode uh, more than I like other episodes in Enterprise, because it, it felt more like traditional Star Trek episode, like something that you would see in Next Gen or like Voyager or something like that, where it's it just feels more Star Trek-y because of that, them, them helping people out without there being a sort of ulterior motive and just because it's the right thing to do and because they're Starfleet and what have you. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really good point and salient one. So uh, without further ado, let's get into this week's recap. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. An all new enterprise to save a desolate planet from rogue warriors. The crew goes where they have never gone before. Down and dirty. You've never seen a Klingon in battle, have you? This plan is a long shot. Show yourselves! I've never liked bullish. Enterprise. Archer, T'Pol, and Trip fly down to a small colony of 76 miners to trade for some gas because they are running on fumes. And so on. They initially tried to barter with Tessek, the colony's leader, but he appears reluctant to part with any of the 80,000 liters in inventory, which is being held for someone else. After negotiations, a deal is struck. 200 liters of gas for four power cells and whatever medical supplies Enterprise can spare. On the proviso, the Enterprise crew can fix two offline pumps in two days. I'd buy that for a dollar. Despite gas being a valuable commodity, Archer is startled by the lack of basic medical supplies and the rundown nature of the colony. The reason becomes apparent when seven Klingons show up to collect gas according to their regular arrangement. And so on. When Tessic informs 
Karak, the leader of the Klingons, that they don't have all the gas because two pumps were not working, Karak hits him and gives them four days to meet the order. Later, when Tucker and Archer attempt to talk them into fighting against the Klingons, Tessic tells them to take their 200 liters and make like a tree and get out of here. Leaving does not sit well with Archer, surprise, surprise, and convinces the leader to resist with their support. Meanwhile, on Enterprise, T'Pol shows the colonists how to roll around on the floor wearing a bodysuit to distract male attackers, while Hoshi and Reed teach other colonists how to play video games. Archer and Trip then suggest the colonists shift the entire colony to the south 50 meters. When the Klingon marauders arrive, the colony appears deserted and silent. Finally, the defenders show themselves, and in the ensuing fight, the Klingons are lured to an area surrounded by the capped-off gas well heads. On cue, the wells are ignited, surrounding the Klingons with flames. Tessic then tells the Klingons to leave and get out of here. After they depart, Archer is rewarded with 2,000 liters of gas by the Grateful Miners for successfully completing the side quest. So here we see this thing of, these people didn't ask for your help, man. (laughs) (laughs) And they've got something going on with a race, Klingons who are much stronger than you and they outnumber you significantly. (laughs) Are you really sure that this is what you want to do, man? And every episode thus far has just been a screaming endorsement for the prime directive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. I would also just like to point out just as a peek behind the magician's curtain for listeners um, in, in the script, you have written deuterium instead of gas, but it obviously became too complicated to, to pronounce. <laughs> so you've just replaced it with gas, which is absolutely uh, fine. <laughs> and here's the thing. Here's the thing. After I said gas the first time, I thought, should I say petrol? Would that be better for Jake if I said petrol? <laughs> I understand what gas is. <laughs> My girlfriend would say I understand what gas is too well. Oh um, gosh, don't get don't get Cat Davis started on uh, her her thoughts about me and my gas for sure. <laughs> so we've got these folks who they're being muscled mm. by this group who are clearly not acting within the bounds of the uh, the Klingon High Council. Is it the High yeah. Council? And I, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, they're basically muscling them out of this stuff. I think a lot of Americans have this idea of British crime being quaint. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Fred Fred and Rose West were really lovely people, actually. You know, (laughs) the Yorkshire Ripper, he was a he was basically he was a dandy, essentially, (laughs) you know. I don't, I mean, I don't want to turn this into an episode of ask a British, ask a British person like this. That's not what this is about, but uh, you know, is there a lot of, cause let's, I'll be honest. The only thing I really know is Guy Ritchie movies. So this is uh, kind of, <laughs> Hey, I'm a big Guy Ritchie fan. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah. So what was your question that is, is so British... basically is, I mean, is this kind of a common thing? Cause I want to see, I want to see how well some of these tropes of, mm crime and extortion how well do things like this translate from america to anywhere else sure yeah that's a good point actually i mean there are obviously differences in i mean in the real world the the types of crimes that happen over here are you know there are obviously the same types of things there are awful murders and awful beatings and awful things that happen as well but there are also just by the nature of the fact that we're a smaller place, there are things that don't happen as often. And also by the nature of the fact that we, you know, have gun control laws and things like that, which, you know, I don't want to start any kind of, uh, oh, hey. 
<laughs> but I, you go I, right I, ahead, man. This is a safe place. <laughs> yeah, good. Well, it would be a safer place if you didn't have guns. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we podcast. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the um, but yeah, obviously we don't. There are there's still gun crime over here, but it's it's very different. So like lots of the crime, especially crime that gets turned into TV shows and stuff over here in in British crime dramas, it tends to be sort of. If it's not a murder, it tends to be like smuggling and stuff like that, rather, because we're an island so that we have a history of like lots of crime being stuff being smuggled into the country. So whether that's guns or drugs or people or whatever. And so we tend to have more of that sort of storyline telling and less of this kind of, I guess, sort of. um, Well, I I suppose it's like I was saying earlier about how Star Trek's a space Western, like Westerns didn't. And you can't really have a Western in the in Britain because we don't have the same kind of background. And, you know, that's in a way to bring it around to what you said about Guy Ritchie. That's sort of what he was doing. He was trying to create a sort of form of Western that worked within the confines of what British crime drama and British gangster stories and things like that have going for them. And so, yeah, so that although we understand these kinds of plots, they aren't as pervasive as as other things might be over here but like it's not to say it's lost on us but there's possibly maybe less of a an emotional hook that we can get into it but i mean with, with this particular episode i mean it helped that and again to go back to my theory that star trek is a uh, space western it helped that this episode is essentially just the magnificent seven um yeah so yeah it's, you're absolutely uh, right it is essentially the the little colony is the the village and the magnificent seven and starfleet and the the crew are the magnificent seven and the klingons are the the baddies who are trying to con- and the deuterium is the the rice is it that they're trying to yeah. keep a hold of you know it's basically the exact same plot except then except sci-fi up and and what have you which is, was interesting for me to see because i not really a fan of westerns in particular, like the, in the traditional sense. But as soon as you put a laser gun in it, I'm happy. So. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm the same way. I, I. I don't. I wouldn't consider myself a fan of westerns at all. Yeah. I'm, I wonder if folks over there think every American might is probably <laughs> a fan of westerns. I don't care for them that much. Uh, but I do. Uh, I do see the appeal for sure, and I it's interesting to see these things. I think the, uh, the comic book uh, writer, artist, creator, we'll just call him a creator, Todd McFarlane, who uh, yes. of course famously created Spawn and yes. bought a bunch of useless baseballs. He had a thing where he was talking about the things he created and the things that he was talking about storytelling with mm-hmm. you know, life in New York city doesn't translate to the UK doesn't translate to the Middle East. It translates very few other places. Yeah, yeah. But the ideas of love, the ideas of friendship, those things are kind of universal. And, yes. um, you know, at the risk of a pun here, talking about Star Trek and things being universal. <laughs> uh, I think that's kind of, I think this episode kind of hits on sort of a base element of humanity, of seeing someone in need and then feeling that call to action that, yeah. you know, be it a, you know, some people experience that and join the military. Some people experience that and become law enforcement or some people experience that and start volunteering or, you know, make donations to shelters and things of that nature. 
But I think that's something that speaks to everybody. And while this is kind of a throwaway episode, it does hit on some very elemental, primal human nature things, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And again, that's what I was saying earlier about this being one of the episodes that feels more Star Trek to me than other ones in this series, because it hits on those sorts of things, which are what I would think of as being inherently Star Trek tropes. And, you know, that's what I want out of the show. And yeah, definitely, it definitely makes you sort of see the character because historically when I've watched and if you listen to our podcast, you'll hear us say this quite a lot about the characters in on the Enterprise in this series being quite two dimensional and not being not all of them in all situations, but a lot of the time they sort of feel just like kind of cookie cutter kind of people who, who are just there to to serve a plot and don't really have any moral compass or moral kind of decision-making at any point. They're just sort of there to do a thing that the writers want them to do, which is the main issue that I have with the series. But like, but in episodes like this, you see the the moral uh, motivation of those characters and you see them as people and you see them as Starfleet uh, in the way that I think of Starfleet, which is what I want out of the show. And a lot of the, and I know part of the point of, of enterprise as a series is that it's their first it's the first example of Starfleet existing in the way that we think of it. And the, these are the first crew who've gone out and done this. And part of it is maybe them learning how to become the Starfleet that we know from the future. Right. But, but, it, and that's fine. But at the same time, I think, I think that's sort of a convenient thing that the writers can now say, because they hadn't written it very well in the first place. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Not that they haven't written it well, you know, it, it's in part well-written show and, you know, I, I write scripts as part of my job and I can recognize a good script and a bad script and I can, and I know how difficult it is to write a script, especially for something as big as Star Trek. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not having a go at at the writing of it necessarily, but I do think there's an element of people romanticizing it from the future and saying like, Oh yeah, it wasn't as bad as we all thought it was actually, they did this really well because this links into this and, and what have you. And you're like, yeah, it feels a bit like you're just, clutching at straws and and conveniently drawing uh, comparisons uh, between things and drawing links between things that aren't really there but but yes so long-winded yes I think you're right (laughs) yeah yeah no that's yeah that's yeah you're absolutely right and gosh yeah as much as we as much as as much as I and you know past episodes uh you know I've had a lot of folks come on and we've nitpicked at things and Mm. uh you know pointed out some really bad things that have happened uh, story-wise, be, yeah, it yeah. By, be it by design or because they were pressed for time or whatever it <laughs> yes. was. The I think a lot of, of it is that. Yeah, a lot of it's pressed of, for yeah, time. Yeah, the lack of solid structure has been uh, an issue <laughs> on a couple scripts. But, yeah. you know, for anyone who thinks they can do better, I yeah. highly recommend you <laughs> Google search. Um I think I think it was uh, Wired magazine sent somebody to the set of Voyager. Okay, and, and the it was supposed to be kind of a behind the scenes of Voyager. It ended up the article ended up being how to write for Star Trek. Read that article and then question whether or not you could truly write on a show. Yeah, even like this one, let alone one of the quote unquote good shows. You know yeah. and. Even in looking at stuff, and as much as I love Next Gen, Voyager, and I really enjoy Enterprise to a degree, and um, then go look at something like Discovery, where 
it's not a freak of the week. It is a continuous story. We've gotten, we've gotten three seasons of one story continuous. Good luck keeping (laughs) up, man. Like, yeah, exactly. And then they're bringing back Picard. You know, we've had, we've had one season of Picard, which I was like, I don't know that I was obviously eager as so many fans were, but in the back of my head, I was like, I don't know that this is going to work the way they want it to. Yeah. And was, was pleasantly surprised. Now I still have my issues with it as (laughs) probably any Star Trek fan does, but man, I, for the folks, you know, I, there's a thought I think amongst, I'll say mid-range Star Trek fans. I feel like when they hear that they used to take scripts on spec, yeah, which they did. They had open sub- script submissions. Okay, go find those scripts and look at yeah. the people that turned those in. Ronald Moore was yeah. one of them, like <laughs> the guy who, who arguably created one of the best modern sci-fi television shows of all time. Mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica and the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, he got one script in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's impossible. very hard. It's very hard to get something like this, the green it, light. Yeah, absolutely. And like, it's hard enough writing for TV on a show that's not as big as Star Trek. You know, like I, I've written bits and bobs for some British comedy shows over here. Yeah. That, there are only small shows, you know, some of them aren't even on the telly. They're just on the internet on BBC three or whatever, but like the, it's hard enough writing for those and like trying to write something, even a, a monster of the week episode for Star Trek is so much bigger because you've also got to keep in mind nearly what, 60 years of like, yeah. <laughs> of, of Canon that you've got to stick to. There's a oh, show sure. Bible and all sorts, you know, I, I wouldn't do that. I, <laughs> Well, you know, going back to the episode, uh, let's see, it was season one, episode 19, Acquisition, where we yes. technically get our first glimpse in the franchise, which this show, we, we're going in chronological order. So this is the yeah. first time we get to see the Ferengi. Yeah. Reading the behind the scenes of what it was like to, hey, we want to do an episode with the Ferengi, but technically... We don't make first contact with the Ferengi until Picard. So they had to be so careful. So just what you said, they've got years and years and decades. They've got decades of history that they have to adhere to, but they've also got the added wrinkle of, oh, and your show takes place first. So while yeah. you have to remember everything, you also get to start it too. Yeah, so, exactly. Good well, luck. It's, it's like the the episodes. Um, I think it's in this season, but it might be a different season of Enterprise. But um, it's called Regeneration, and it's the episode with the Borg in it. Um, oh yeah, and it like not that bad an episode. It's not the best episode ever. We did it on our podcast recently, and like it, you know, we had some nice things to say about it, but. But, you know, we're not supposed to meet the Borg or like Starfleet aren't supposed to know of the Borg's existence officially until the 24th century. But then we have to obviously this is that episode is a sequel to First Contact, the film. Um, So like they've got to tie it into not only the the timeline and the canon of that film, but also the canon that was set up before that film was made as well, which the film had to tie into. And it's and it's got a time travel element to it which is always i mean i don't think star trek does time travel the best out of sci-fi shows but there yeah. are examples of it being done well <laughs> um you know but yeah it all goes it's all the same point that, that we're both making is that 
it's really hard to write TV, guys. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you, absolutely. I always, I, I always have to turn Twitter off whenever it get, whenever there's a season finale of something that I like on. Like, I don't know whether or not it's made it over to the US or not, but there's a show over here called uh, Line of Duty, which is a British crime drama about um, corrupt police, and it's, it, it'll probably make its way over to America if it hasn't already because it's, it was such a massive hit over here. It's got the highest ratings of anything that the BBC's done in about ten years or something. Oh wow, but, that's cool. Yeah, but they did the season finale of it earlier this year and like something ridiculous like six million people t- tuned in to watch it or something and oh, wow. like and then loads of people complained because there was like this big reveal at the end about this bad guy who they'd been the main villain for the whole thing but no one knew the identity of them and then they announced it at the end and it was a bit disappointing and everyone on twitter started going mad about it and getting really upset and being like this is disappointing <laughs> and and i was like well you try writing a show that's been on the air for 10 years that has to that you don't know whether or not it's going to get renewed for another season so you have to try and write it so it's got a satisfying ending if it doesn't get renewed but is also exciting and cliffhangery enough that it'll get people to watch again if it does get renewed and you know it, it, there's so much yeah. going on that people don't think about and I mean I know this isn't relevant to Star Trek anymore but I'm just going on a rant because it, it annoys me that people don't understand how difficult it is to get something made exactly. whether it's tv or a film or art or stand-up or anything really it's difficult to get people to take it seriously enough in the first place to get it made let alone the process of making it and then getting it out there you know so many so many misconceptions about just we can speak knowledgeably about the misconceptions of stand-up comedy yeah you know i'm sure you've seen your fair share of person who comes in is like i'm gonna be on netflix in six months like, <laughs> yeah no, no you're gonna be on your couch in about six weeks and burn out man good luck we'll see you <laughs> yeah exactly um, but I've yeah been doing 10 years and i've not been on netflix so <laughs> there you go there you go i uh yeah so people re- rarely understand you know all the pressure that's it's a lot of pressure to make something like this work and so when it comes to making these these things work you have to ask yourself who do we blame? So <laughs> the story for this episode was written by Berman and Braga. They've written the bulk of this. They are largely responsible for this uh, for this series as a whole. But- uh, I, I, I hold Berman responsible for a lot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, the last episode that those guys penned was the last episode we talked about, which was season two, episode five, A Night in Sick Bay, a.k.a. Awe for the Puppy. The teleplay was written by Mr. David Wilcox, not to be confused with the uh, singer-songwriter living in North Carolina, Mr. David Wilcox, um, which open invitation to Mr. David Wilcox, either of them, to come on this show. Which would you rather have? I don't know. <laughs> I, I'll be honest, like David Wilcox, who actually wrote the teleplay for this, this was his first and only entry yeah. into the franchise. However... David Wilcox, the singer-songwriter from North Carolina, is a huge stand-up comedy fan. And he and I, I saw him at a show and got to meet him afterwards and said, you know, he and I ended up having a very lengthy discussion because I commented on the some of the material of one of his songs was so similar to some of the material I have in stand-up. He said, All right. and I said, oh, I'm a stand-up comedian. And he went and grabbed two chairs and ignored everyone else in the room. And he's like, <laughs> we need to talk. <laughs> he is a very nice, very sweet guy. Uh, has some great music. I highly recommend if you love. I will, I'll you know, check him out. Yeah. Yeah. Check him out. David Wilcox. So yeah, David Wilcox, while this was his first and only entry into the franchise, he's done a lot of TV stuff, a lot of law and order, which I 
I'm not sure what the equivalent of law and order would be over there. If are you familiar uh, with law and order? Yeah, we I, I love law and order, but we also have a we have law and order UK over here as well. So, I saw so. that there was a law and order UK, and I was like, yeah. I wonder how it stacks up to the. It's, to the it's not as it's not as good. It's all right. It's got um it's got free <laughs> argument in it from Doctor Who. Okay, oh love her, love her. Yeah, so she's much. great. This episode was directed by Mike Vahar, and his last episode directing was season one, episode 15, Shadows of Pajem, which ended up, uh, that's where they go to the Vulcan church planet and, uh, yes. you know, and blow a hole in it. <laughs> yeah, it's the terrorism episode, Tom. It ex- exactly, exactly. Let's, uh, you know, we're going to set things right. First thing, let's destroy this uh, centuries old monument. Uh <laughs> So uh, some of the guest stars, we've got uh, quite a few notable guest stars, but we'll just hit a couple of them here. Larry uh, Cedar as Tessic. He was in uh, Constantine as the Vermin Man. Um, this isn't really important, but he was Jimmy Dean in Ginger Dead Man. And the reason I am citing that is because I love the title Ginger Dead Man. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. I've never heard of it, but I'm immediately going to go and see if I can find it on Amazon Prime. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, he is also Cadet Shields in Battlestar Galactica. I believe that was the original version. Um, yes. and of course, multiple appearances on a couple different, uh, he was in Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and of course this episode of Enterprise. But as we mentioned, here's your community tie-in. He played Cornelius Hawthorne, who who was yes. Pierce Hawthorne's evil father. These are your friends, Pierce. Hello. Minorities, Jewesses, and the unseasonably tan. That is inappropriate. And maybe you'll give that more weight since I'm white. You've got a wide brow. What are you, Scandinavian? Yeah, Swedish. Swedish dogs. Your blood is tainted by generations of race mixing with Laplanders. You're basically Finns. Oh my goodness, he's like the opposite of racism. Yes, it's yeah, it's che- he plays Chevy Chase's evil dad, exactly. despite the fact I think Larry Cedar is probably about ten years younger than Chevy Chase. But, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he's great in it as well. He plays he's like this Colonel Sanders from KFC. Yeah, yeah, he uh, does a little bit. I think, yeah. I think he's I think he's meant to look like that. I think he's sort of, he's got the bolo tie and like a white suit and everything. Oh yeah, and then, absolutely. But then he's got this ridiculous ivory wig that he wears. That's like solid ivory. Yeah, (laughs) one solid piece, (laughs) like a a Lego minifigure just sits on top of his head. Oh, my God. It is exactly like that. And I think the... I think the reason that they say he wears it is because he refuses to wear wigs in case they've got hair from uh, Asian people in from them. Minorities, which is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's just, he's just such like a stereotype of this racist character that it, it's written really and, well. And just nails and he plays it. it excellently. Just yeah. nails it. Yeah, he's, he really swings for the fences on, on every single line that he's yeah. got and just... It's just dripping with racist hate and ooze. Yeah. And you, you really, I like as much as people might hate Pierce, they despise his father. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah, the yeah. one time you get on board with Pierce of like feeling bad for him as a character and what he's endured in his life. It's like, oh, well, no wonder you're a jerk. Look at your dad. <laughs> Said every comedian ever. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm just having a look at some of the other things that he's been in as well. Um, and he's been in, I mean, there's Ginger Deadman, amazing still. Oh, um, yeah. He was, but he, he's been in a few, he was in the Twilight Zone movie, which I've not mm-hmm. seen, but um, but he, he's done quite a lot of voiceovers in comic book films, like uh, in yeah. cartoons uh, and, and video games as well. So he was in 
Gods and Monsters, uh, yep. Injustice, uh, Gods and Monsters. He was he played Loki in Marvel Ultimate Alliance, which is one of my favorite video games ever. Oh yeah, um, I yeah. was dangerously it, close to putting that on here. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's so good. I don't know. <laughs> and he was also this is I think what he would consider the peak of his career. He was San Francisco bike messenger in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Four. There you go. Like, <laughs> you could. Go ahead and retire, man. <laughs> you were in you were in Tony Hawk a Tony Hawk video game, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, rounding out special guest stars here, we've got Barry Hawkwald as Elis, uh, who's appeared in a bunch of episodes of uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager. We've got Robertson Dean, who actually plays the Klingon Captain Karok, uh, and was also in a Next Gen episode called Face of the Enemy. But then we've got one guy here, Jesse James Rutherford as Quell. Uh, if you don't recognize the name Jesse James Rutherford, you might recognize just the name Jesse because he is the lead singer from The Neighborhood. I'm not super familiar with that band, but I always love seeing crossovers of like political figures and musicians and other things. He, so he was the, the little kid in this episode, wasn't he? He was the one who... Um... Who I think keeps so. like yeah, he keeps like breaking into the shuttle because he's obsessed with seeing how spacecraft yeah. work and stuff like that. Yeah. And so he was obviously a child actor at this point and then mm-hmm. went on to become a musician instead as he got yeah. older, I imagine. There's um, there's a few people that have done that and a lot of musical crossovers from like into Star Trek and from Star Trek. Okay. Yeah, because uh, I mean, famously, uh, of course, uh, Spock singing the ballad of Bilbo Baggins, and yes, <laughs> uh, Patrick Stewart's got a country album. Yeah, uh, Shatner. Shatner did. Well, we all know did, about Shatner's he musical. Did a, he did a thing. He did a thing that's kind of like music. <laughs> yeah, Shatner's uh, video of him singing Elton John's Rocket Man is still my favorite thing I've ever seen. <laughs> And I'm going to be high as a kite by then. It's, so, it's so wonderful, especially when they parodied, when they parodied oh, on, on Family on Guy. Family Guy, yeah. Oh, yeah, because I, obviously, obviously Seth MacFarlane is a massive Star Trek fan. Of course. So he, yeah, and so he, and he said a few times that the main reason he writes star trek jokes into shows like family guy and american dad is just so he can try and meet the cast of next gen so he can get them to come in so he's like best mates with patrick stewart now so yeah oh my gosh which i mean if i was in seth MacFarlane's position i would have the hardest time not calling patrick stewart dad yeah (laughs) yeah i would hey dad Maddie, who does the podcast with me, told us yeah. a story a couple of months ago where she was on holiday in a place called the Lake District, which is in the north of England. It's very mm. picturesque, nice uh, national park in nice. England. And she was on a cycling holiday and she was rushing to get back to the train that she had to catch to get back home again. Um, and she, she was cycling and she lost control of her bike and like screeched the brakes on and nearly crashed into like a um, a couple who were walking like an old guy and his wife um and then when she turned around uh, it was patrick stewart <laughs> and like ah! it's, it's so weird that you just ran into her like nearly that she, she was nearly responsible for like killing patrick stewart in a oh fatal God. bike crash <laughs> <laughs> 
but what a fun story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so where we are, and we're diverting again, of course. Yes, but we, we will we will get back to Star Trek, I promise, after I tell this story. Um, a buddy of mine. So here in Greenville, South Carolina, um, there's a lot of uh, very nice golf courses around. And sure. of course, BMW is also here. Right. So they have the BMW Pro-Am. So right, yeah. we got of the year. Greenville and the surrounding areas get a lot of celebrities popping in. And uh, my buddy who uh, worked service industry downtown almost killed Kurt Russell (laughs) as he was crossing the street. My buddy, I think he had looked down at his radio or something as was rolling forward. And then he heard the, you know, the, the sound of a hand of a hand on the hood of his car. And he looked up right as the guy looked at him and it was Kurt Russell. And of course this is uh, my buddy, Justin, who's the host of the uh, cinema shock, the podcast I'm on. So he's just like, I'm so sorry. Legendary actor, Kurt Russell. (laughs) 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 Uh, But yeah. And uh, my buddy, Gary, the other host of the, of the show tells the story. Um, He, I, I won't recount it here because I could never tell it the way he does, but he tells a very fun story of working security for Bruce Campbell uh, of Evil Dead and Army of Darkness. Uh, yes. yeah, uh, yeah. He got to work security for Bruce Campbell and uh, the story <laughs> is, has become uh, a thing of legend here <laughs> amongst us. <laughs> this episode, uh, they shot a few things on stages and then they shot eight days in a quarry in Ventura County, California, about an hour's journey northwest of LA. The actors were still told to wear sunscreen and drink plenty of water. Uh, the actors portraying the Klingons actually were there for the second of five days on location, uh, with most of them being played by stuntmen. Uh, and according to Scott Bakula, the set that was used for the colony was actually the largest built so far for the show Enterprise. Diving in a little bit more, how did you feel about the montage where we, <laughs> where apparently all you have to learn is how to duck, yeah. <laughs> duck, roll, and then shoot a little ball in the air? How do you think that would have stood up against the battle-tested Klingon? <laughs> you really think that a bunch of miners could learn how to, uh, could, you know, we need a montage. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I was thinking of when I watched it. It's just like this is just the montage scene from Team America. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, don't get me wrong. There are times when a montage is appropriate, and I feel like that is never in a TV series episode that is forty-five minutes long. <laughs> because I feel like if yeah. you've written something into an episode that requires a montage, then you've not written the episode very well. <laughs> Yeah. because you know that that episode needs to be 45 minutes long or what have you. So th- the whole scene is like, so it's to Paul's talking to these miners on the ship and she's being like, all oh, right. So this ancient martial art that I know is that's exactly what you need to know, but uh, it takes too long to master it. So I'm just going to teach you how to do a forward roll essentially. Yeah. Um, and like, it's like, so what we're going to do is like kindergarten level, like gymnastics. Uh <laughs> And so, and like that's all it is. It's basically just her. She steps to the re- left. She steps to the right. She's essentially doing the cha-cha slide. Yes. And, oh, yes. <laughs> and then she rolls on the floor, and she's like, "Oh yeah, that'll save you." And then, and but you're like, "Yeah, okay, fine." It maybe it takes years and years to master all of the like complicated martial arts and stuff. But like, 
you could at least teach them how to do a punch or something. Like teach them something that, yeah. that they could use if they're getting attacked. Like, and like, I get that maybe it's meant to be a metaphor for like how you don't need to be violent to solve your problems or whatever. But I don't think it is that. I think that's exactly me doing what I was complaining about other people doing earlier and just drawing false equivalencies because I want to try and make it look like it's more than it is. Because I think right. it is literally that they've just gone, we can't afford to pay the insurance for these actors to be able to do stunts and things. So we're just going to have to teach them to dodge batlets and roll around on the floor a bit. And then later on, it shows you that one of them doing that when I think it's the medical woman from the base and she's Mm -hmm. being attacked by a Klingon. And so she, she does the moves that you saw them learn, but like you're not emotionally invested enough in that bit of the, uh, like one in that character and two in it's not like the karate kid where like he teaches him about the crane kick early on. And then like, it becomes the one thing that he uses to save the day at the end of it. It's not like this move saves the whole day. It just, it seems to be just there as an excuse for the writers to go, Oh, remember that thing we set up earlier? Yeah, that's happening now, but it's got absolutely no relevance to any of the plot. And that, that seems to be what they've done there. My experience from uh, it, cause I, I've, mentioned it once or twice here on the show i actually have a martial arts background uh, many years and many pounds ago but uh, that of course helped me when i got into police academy and i was one of a few i was in a class of probably 60 cadets i think less than a handful of us had any sort of com like hand-to-hand combat training at all yeah 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 a lot of it was just kind of i used to work in it or I used to drive a truck. Like <laughs> there was yeah, a lot yeah, of, yeah. there was a lot of things of like, well, you're gonna do this now. <laughs> yeah. It's you're like, made- oh, I don't know what to do. I could hit them over the head with a laptop. That's what exactly, I was <laughs> exactly. Get ready to wrestle some meth heads. Like, <laughs> here we go. This if is you uh, hit, if you hit someone over the head with a laptop, does that count as cybercrime? Oh my god. <laughs> 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 the uh yeah i mean w- i mean i was partnered up with a guy who worked in it for defensive yeah. tactics and i was doing what i thought was fairly standard moves and you know yeah, yeah, i wasn't yeah. i wasn't going full force because i kind of knew what i was doing yeah yeah and at one point he goes hey can you not hit me so hard i was like really and you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna serve and protect oh okay oh geez oh not from not from my county or jurisdiction right okay, okay. yeah good. oh god yeah, yeah I, I mean talking about that like i feel like and i wonder how it is over there because like you said guns aren't super prevalent over there i remember watching yeah. an episode of torchwood but one of them is talking to someone else who's not in Torchwood. And, so, and the question comes up of what do you do for a living? And he pulls out a semi-automatic pistol. And yeah. I remember my wife and I sitting on the couch going, and? <laughs> yeah. like, so you're in a gang? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> or you're just... Yeah. You're just an avid collector. Okay, we get it. Yeah. yeah. Like it wouldn't cross our minds at all that that was just a bloke who liked guns or whatever, because like the right. only reason you would have a gun in this country is like, especially that kind of gun, you know, maybe there might be farmers who've got shotguns and stuff, but like right. the, the majority the majority of guns in this country, because because they're illegal, you can only have one, especially an automatic weapon if you're Government's in the, yeah if you're in the army or, or 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 certain elements of the police and you have to or in northern ireland police carry weapons but the rest of the uk 
normal policemen on the street don't have guns. There are only special armed sort of what you would call SWAT teams right. that have guns over here. So like, yeah. yeah, seeing someone pull out an automatic weapon like that just <laughs> randomly is like completely, that would be terrifying to me. And like, I, right. if I saw any gun ever, I've never seen a real life gun, I don't think. So really? I, oh, wow. I don't, I don't think I have. I'm maybe, maybe possibly in an airport, maybe like a security guard or something. Sure. But certainly not like just randomly just someone walking down the street or anything like that. Like the idea that in places like Texas, you can have a concealed carry license seems mad to me. Oh, yeah. Same like, thing here. Same thing. You here. can't, you can't yeah. carry a knife in the UK. Like you, that's right. If, yeah. If you've got any blade that's longer than I think three inches, that's illegal to carry it with you. Unless there's a reason like, you know, if, if you've just bought it from the shop and it's a kitchen knife and you're taking it home or whatever, right. but like you can't just walk around with a, a knife in your pocket. So if, if you were found with it, you can't walk around with an air gun or like a, a you know, a BB gun or anything like that. Like you've wow. got to have, but you know what yeah. it's, you know, for all of, for all of, you know, I, and I have no problem saying this. And I think once I say my piece, I don't think anyone would dispute me. I think American law enforcement for all of its, I'll go ahead and say posturing. (laughs) And there is a lot of training as does any law enforcement uh, agency. I wouldn't go toe to toe with a, with a British cop, even at the height of my law enforcement career. Cause we just bamboozle you psychologically. Use long words and like use and long words and just make just me say feel the names horrible of, about myself. <laughs> we'll just say the names of places that you can't pronounce and like you'll be like, hey, I'm gonna mug you, give me your wallet, and we'll be like Gloucestershire, and then you Loughborough. <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> or or <laughs> yeah, you'll make us feel bad about ourselves and then we'll go, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's an element of when you've got to do all that with that, because I started my career as a guard in the county jail oh. and um, no weapons, zero weapons. Yeah. Uh, so you kind of, A, you had to learn how to talk to people. You got to be able to handle your business with Mr. Left and Mr. Right. That's that's about it. Yeah. Um, but I saw a lot of I saw a lot of officers who had worked the street who um, were used to wearing armor and carrying weapons come in yeah. and, ta- and talk to inmates the way that they would talk to people out on the street. And I had to pull a, more than yeah, a yeah. aside and go, I don't know if you've realized this, but you're in a concrete metal box and you're outnumbered 170 to one. Yeah. And you, then, might, but, you might want to be respectful. <laughs> because in, in their head, they think that they are like, they think they're Rorschach from that bit in, of course. Uh, in of course. Watchmen where he's like, you're trapped in here with me. Yeah. And like, but in reality, you're like, no, you're trapped in here with all of them. Yeah. Think about all the hobbies you do when you leave this place. Okay. Their hobbies are push ups, push ups, and more push ups. They will destroy you. Yeah, it's essentially <laughs> it's push ups and stabbing. Those are the <laughs> those are the two things that you can do in jail. Exactly. Oh gosh. Well, uh, Jake, uh, do you have any final thoughts about the the episode Marauders or in on uh, Enterprise in general? Um, <laughs> because you'll never talk about it again. After so, just so <laughs> overwhelming urge to be the most British person ever and just go, it's a bit rubbish, really. <laughs> Get ready, because that's what I'm going to edit it down to. <laughs> um, no, I, I, yeah, I think it's a good, I think it's a good example of how enterprise can be 
good at times. And I think, you know, we've spent a lot of the episode and apologies to the listeners that I, cause I go, I've got ADHD and I go on tangents all of the time. And so like, we haven't spent that much time talking about this particular episode and we've talked more sort of nebulously about, uh, about enterprise as a, as a show, but like, I think this is where enterprise is good. And if I was to pick some of my, if I was to pick three episodes of enterprise to show to somebody and say, if you're going to get into this show, these are the ones you should watch. I think this would be one of those. Um, and nice. yeah, and I think it's as it goes, it's got the, the acting is decent in it compared to some of the acting that we get in other areas of the show. Um, even Scott Bakula does a decent job, um, which <laughs> I I have issues with Scott Bakula. Um, <laughs> essentially, I, I'm pretty sure because I, I think his character changes so often in this series that you never mm. really know who Jonathan Archer is to the point where I'm pretty sure that this that he is actually the character he played in Quantum Leap and he's jumped into the body of Jonathan Archer and so he doesn't really know who he is anymore so that's (laughs) why his character changes so much because he's just constantly trying to work out what he's got to do to get to the next leap (laughs) (laughs) wait a minute how long does Ziggy say I have to be here four years oh god (laughs) (laughs) I think that's essentially it yeah but yeah but yeah, essentially, the too long didn't read is uh, yeah, it's quite good. That's wonderful. Yeah, I, I you know I think it's because let me ask you this because I've been wondering about the structure of red shirts and we'll we'll talk a little oh. bit more about red shirts here in a minute. But um, because you guys skip around, you, yeah. you're not going in any one particular order other than the entire season that you covered of low was it lower decks that I think you guys just uh, blew through the whole season. No, it was um, a season three of uh, of Discovery. Of, we, did of Discovery. Entire, we did an entire, we did one hour and a bit episode on on an entire series of the okay. show. <laughs> but but other than that, it there's you guys have jumped around. Like how yeah. is it? How is it covering something like so mm. extensive like Star Trek out of order? Like not even within one particular show. Yeah. How has that been so far? Um. I, well, we started doing it that way just kind of accidentally really it was mm-hmm. it was more just sort of we went so we've done maybe 70 episodes now something like that and yep. uh and i think at first we started we thought oh, we're not going to do this properly it'll just you know we'll do 10 episodes and get bored or something and so we just sort of picked the ones we thought we wanted to talk about most right. and then it turned and then it started to turn into kind of a thing that people seem to enjoy and we enjoyed making it and so we just kept going in that sort of way but I think it actually helps in a way because jumping around between different series and different points, like, you know, we'll we'll look at an episode from season five of TNG and then like three weeks later, we'll look at an episode from season two of TNG or something like that. So like, you know, we were even looking at things within series in the wrong order. So it kind of helps because you don't get caught up thinking about the plot and how everything fits together too much. You think more about the individual episode and it kind of, and, you know, we we're all comedians and we take quite a, a lighthearted view of the podcast. And, you know, often we're not talking about Star Trek. We're talking about some other thing. And we get quite, I mean, this podcast is lovely that I've done with you today, but oh, at, the, at the start, it's, you know, it's been, I've had a lovely time, but the, the first, before we started recording, I said, Oh, can, can we swear? And you were like, Oh, I'd rather keep the swearing to a minimum. Like our podcast is just rife. It's just full of swear words. So like, uh, because we get distracted and start talking about Klingon knobs or something. Um, so like, yeah, because <laughs> did you know this that, that that it's canonical that Klingons have got two penises? So that that's canonically true. Um, so 
Yeah. Did, did I know that in Deep Space Nine? Did they hit that in Deep Space Nine? Uh, I think so. I can't remember the exact. And but then there's loads of since since it's been first mentioned, it's been then like written into later episodes of things. So oh, there's like wow. there's a reference to. I think it's in. I think it might be in one of the J.J. Abrams films. But there's a bit where someone goes to the bathroom and there's a Klingon next to them and there's two streams of of we coming out of him, like two <laughs> little streams um so we we take things like that and get really bogged down in the minutiae of them uh whereas like as any good comedian would (laughs) exactly well that's what me and me and maddie tend to do that and then nathan desperately tries to push us along to talk about like the ethics of something important to do with the like (laughs) the the prime directive or something and and we're like no we want to talk about i don't know vulcan tits (laughs) Well, I let me let me just put your mind at ease here for a second. Uh, you mentioned about you know us really not discussing Marauders that yeah, much. Yeah. I uh, I had someone uh, in my in my real life um, yeah. come up to me and go, "Hey, I uh, I started listening to your podcast," and I was like, "Oh, really? Well, thanks, thanks very much. Uh, you know, uh, did you did you like it? You know, thank you for listening." And they go, "Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Um, it's only kind of about Star Trek, isn't it?" <laughs> Yeah, we yeah. we do tend to go off on rabbit trails quite quite often. <laughs> we we get quite a lot of um of people who complain at us on social media or or like in emails or whatever, and they like hardcore Star Trek fans who come up and and say things like, uh, "Oh, you're not you're not taking Star Trek seriously enough" or whatever. And we're like, "What are you talking about? It's a sh- it's it's a show about people." running about in space wearing not very many clothes and shooting yeah. laser guns what do you expect <laughs> us to do with it it's it's not meant to be taken seriously right and like right. yeah and like tell, we're, we're very what, upfront I'll about t- I'll, that. I'll start taking it seriously when paramount starts cutting me a check that's when i'll be like this is very yeah. this is very interesting very important we should all pay attention <laughs> exactly yeah it got yeah it got to the point where i i reached out to um to Brent Spiner's agent to try and get Brent to record something for the podcast. And uh, he, he was too busy, but he did get back to us, which is very kind of him. But, um, and uh, yeah, Jonathan Frakes has done the same and it's very lovely. Um, and we had, uh, we had um, Emily Coots from who plays um, uh, yeah. Lieutenant Detmer, Detmer on, yeah, 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 yeah. on, on discovery. Uh, and she was great. She came on the show. Um, but like, yeah, it, but it's got to the point now where I'm, like interacting with people who are actually involved in Star Trek because of the podcast. And yeah. I'm starting to feel like I'm getting, it's getting too, I'm getting too close to it and I'm going to have to start taking <laughs> it seriously and become one of those knobs who's really into that. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I just want to keep talking about knobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, you know, I, you guys, you guys are ahead of me, obviously, but I have, I've reached out to, and I'll, I'll, mm. I'll spare mentioning their names here, but I have reached out to a few people who uh, have um, given me the very polite thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> yes, that's what we usually get as well. But uh, yeah. okay, uh, occasionally, they, I think because because we're British, we can sort of pretend that we're bigger than we are and they've just not heard of us. That's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I was going to say, Emily, em, Miss Counts, Emily Counts probably was just like, oh, they're British. Well, yeah, she yeah. really <laughs> thought about it like I do. I'm like, yeah. you have no idea how many times I'm like, uh, yeah, I got to record this week with some people in England. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've done exactly the same thing. <laughs> like, oh, hey, sorry, I can't come into work this evening because, uh, yeah, actually, I can't do that gig because uh, I'm doing a podcast in America. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's so great. Well, uh, so next week we will have 
part two of the Red Shirts Computer Resume podcast crossover event, um, where we will be joined by another third of the Red Shirts podcast, Miss Maddie Churchhouse. I'm really looking forward to it. She'll be joining us for Enterprise Season 2, Episode 7, The 7th. And of course, that episode is available on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and of course on Paramount+. Plus. Jake, what do you got? What's going on in your life that people can follow and support? You're a comedian. Um, where where can people where can people go laugh at you? Yeah, yeah, I'm I am I'm a stand up comedian. Um, and I so I, I'm based obviously in the UK. So I don't know if many of your listeners are over here, but if you are, um, you can you can find out where all my gigs are if you follow me on social media. So I'm at Donaldson Comedy on all of the socials. Um, and yeah, you can. I, I'm currently working up a, a special that I'll be taking to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival next year in 2022. Nice. So if you if you uh, if any of your listeners are at Edinburgh next year, look out for my show. It's called Neurotica, and it's about anxiety and uh, and sex and toxic masculinity and all those sorts of things that sound like they're incredibly boring, but are actually, I promise, it's actually quite funny. <laughs> nice, um, nice. So, you, yeah, you mentioned you've been doing comedy for ten years now. About ten years. Yeah, I started okay. at university when I was eighteen, and then I've sort of done it like semi seriously until about four years ago, and then I started taking it properly seriously and doing proper circuit gigs and you know nice. uh, slowly climbing my way up the ladder of, of stand-up comedy but That's awesome. yeah That's awesome but it, it's luckily it's it's going quite well so yeah awesome. so you and, can follow me on on social media and there are some clips of my stand-up on there and, and on youtube and i post things every now and then and uh, and hopefully i'll be coming to america at some point to do some gigs over there so if i do i will make sure to let you know and you can tell all your listeners to come and find me Yes, absolutely. And uh, and just one more time for everybody, uh, give them your social media handle one more time. Yeah, it's at Donaldson Comedy, so that D-O-N-A-L-D-S-O-N, and then the word comedy. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials from all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in 10 forward. subspace transmissions to computer resume podcast at gmail.com or at computer resume on facebook twitter and instagram the computer resume podcast was created and produced by mr todd a davis our logo was designed by will martin and justin bishop the opening theme was produced by justin bishop our outro music was provided with permission by drone node additional music was provided by mr todd a davis and gary horn and i'm cat davis at that dot darn dot cat with a k on Instagram, the Computer Resume Podcast is part of the Slice of Fried Gold Network. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We've probably got some phasers and shuttle pods. And we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?